Hello guys, how are we doing? I am full of beans because this is the NTT20 League One playoff preview sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell. George Ellick is with me waiting nervously to talk about his beloved Oxford United as they head into their playoff semi-final with Blackpool. We've got Sunderland against Lincoln to preview as well. This show is, is kind of a mix of our two weekly shows, the Monday podcast, where we try our best to provide as, as in-depth analysis as we possibly can muster, and the betting show as well towards the end of the week, where we look at the EFL with our betting hats on uh, and provide some selections ahead of the weekend. So for the purpose of this preview show, there'll be a bit of both. And, and that means that this podcast is for over 18s only. We'd ask that anyone listening to this is gamble aware and heads to begambleaware.org to learn the risks that come with gambling if you aren't across those already. Uh, George, but our partners, Betfair, we're delighted to be partnering with them. And I always think Betfair, and this is a weird analogy, but bear with me. It's almost like a pair of non-identical twins because there's the sports book on the one hand, there's the exchange on the other hand, kind of two sides of the same coin. They offer different things for different needs, but to- <laughs> together they make up one hell of a thing. Yeah, they do. They do. The good thing for us and the great thing about working with Betfair is that the sports book offers so many different options of, of how to get your bets on so many different markets that other, other bookies don't necessarily offer as well. Um, you know, come an hour before the game, uh, they will have loads of things up there. So do check it out because especially, you know, they, they um, cover the EFL very well too. So the Betfair Sportsbook is great and is, you know, in terms of pricing is, is also very good. And then you look at the Betfair Exchange, which is also there, which is an exchange. So it means that it's... Um, it's basically me bets, versus you, isn't it? Exactly. The bets that you're having are being laid by somebody else somewhere. That can also often mean that the, the you know the margin uh, on the markets is a bit lower, so you're getting better prices. You know the the, the books are priced up to a to a lower margin, and um, it means that you can lay selections as well. So you're not just backing stuff. If you want to, if you think something is definitely not going to happen, um, then you can get get your lays up there too. So yeah, I mean I am a a loyal and aged customer of Betfair. Um, so it's exciting to be working with them. They've got an offer for customers at the moment. Bet £20 worth of multiples and you'll get a £5 free bet. So multiples here includes doubles and above and bet builders too. Each multiple must have at least one selection at minimum odds of 1.5. Uh, for all the T's and C's, head to the Betfair website. Okay, it's time to get our teeth stuck into this, George. I find the League One playoffs this year fascinating and I've got a pretty strong fancy and you're not going to like it. Just <laughs> run me through the runners and riders. We've got Blackpool, Oxford, Lincoln and Sunderland. Who's favourites and who's outsiders for the playoffs? Yeah, so we'll look at the exchange here. You can, the sportsbook have prices as well, which you can use in multiples and things, but the exchange prices are a little bit bigger for the purpose of this. So we'll focus on those. And Sunderland are the favourites at 3.25 to back, so around about the 9 to 4 mark. Uh, Blackpool, 3.6, so 5 to 2. Oxford, 4.3, so around about 100 to 30. And Lincoln, 5.0, so 4 to 1. So Sunderland, the favourites. Blackpool and Oxford wedge in the middle with Lincoln, the outsider of four. We're going to start with Oxford against Lincoln. Uh, it's the first of the ties, this one on Tuesday at 6pm. The first legs at the Kassam Stadium. I think as playoff ties go, this one is set up very nicely indeed. The top line to tell you, if you haven't been following League One too closely this season, is that Blackpool started very poorly. Uh, they had just four points after seven games. 
And then essentially from that point, they were a, a top two team. Uh, they were the best team in the league for 80% of the season, essentially. And Oxford also started poorly, more poorly, in fact. In the, on the 7th of December, Oxford were in the bottom four in League One. And from that moment, they were the second best team in the league over the next 31 games, picking up 59 points and one more than Blackpool in that time. So the exciting thing to say is we have two excellent sides here and we should be very excited about how this game, how this tie plays out. We should also be excited because Oxford have some fabulous form going into it, don't they? They're the ones who punched their way in on final day, stole Portsmouth's playoff spot by doing what they needed to do, beating Burton and Accrington doing them a favour by beating Portsmouth. And it means that Oxford head into this as the form team in the division. They've won five of their last six, seven of their last ten, scoring 28 goals in that time. And they're up against an, an obdurate Blackpool, who have conceded only 16 goals in their last 27 matches. So what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object is kind of the big question of this particular preview. Just in terms of the games they played this season, I'm sure George might touch on them in just a second, but it was 0-0 at Bloomfield Road. From what I can tell, not a lot happened in that one. And then 2-0 to Blackpool at the Kassam. Two set-piece goals in the first half, Luke Garbutt's delivery um, causing some problems. So no goals between these two sides from open play in 180 minutes. George, I'm going to flip it to you. How are you feeling about this game? Oxford, they lost in the playoff final last season to Wickham, a game that they felt like they should have won. Talk me through the similarities and the differences between Oxford one year ago and Oxford now. Well, it's the team, I would say, is the most interesting thing here. When going into last season's playoffs, um, because of the gap, because of COVID, it felt like any momentum or form that was built up in that run to get to the playoffs was obviously taken away. And I think if you watched the Oxford-Portsmouth games, the two semifinals, I would say Portsmouth were probably the better team over the two, just. But it was a game that was pretty indicative of two sides who hadn't played competitive football for a, for a couple of months. Now here, that's not going to be the case. And here, Oxford's form is, is based upon a team that Carl Robinson, I'm not going to say stumbled across because he deserves more credit than that, but it's a, it's a team that, you know, I, I do some um, post-match stuff sometimes on Radio Oxford, a, a show called Wasn't Know the Game, which is where you know, a couple of people within the media or an ex-player and stuff will chat about what's happened. And I was so convinced that Alex Gorin was the key to Oxford's good form. You know, he is a defensive midfield player who I'm, st I know I'm, I'm still very, very sure has a big future at Oxford and probably a championship level, who is a, a bit of a midfield destroyer, somebody who um, is good for a yellow card, will happily break up play legally or illegally. And is a much better footballer than he's given credit for as well. And I was convinced that his injury and the lack of that defensive nous in the middle of the park was of massive detriment to Oxford. So what's happened since, which is that Gorin now can't get in the team because Oxford play a 4-3-3, but a 4-3-3 with the most defensive-minded midfielder or the most defensive-minded player of that three, and that three is Cameron Brannigan, who is a a box-to-box -box midfielder. You know, he might have, be having to be a bit more defensively astute in what he's doing at the moment, but he is not a holding midfielder by any stretch. The two players that play either side of him are James Henry, who's played the majority of his career out wide on the right, 
Um, not as you know a, a flying winger because he has no pace, but as almost like a wide playmaker. And then Mark Sykes, who again started last season's Wembley final out on the wing, is rapid um, and would consider his probably best position being either as a 10 or as a winger. And then you go into the front three where you've got Elliot Lee, a player who is playing kind of inside right, who you probably see his best position as being a 10. Mide Shadipo playing in his natural position, which is left wing, and then Matt Taylor. So you've, you've basically got this incredibly attacking lineup. When you also consider looking at Oxford's defensive four, which has had so much credit this season, but not because of their defensive capabilities. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to say. Got, you've got Josh Ruffles, who's got six goals and seven assists this season. Sam Long, who looks like he's going to be out with, um, he's got six goals and five assists. Anthony Ford, the player who'll probably play right back, is actually a right winger anyway. And then the two centre-backs, Elliot Moore and Rob Atkinson, who are just massive set-piece threats and both, well, certainly Atkinson, ball players. It is an aggressively attacking 1-11. to And that causes carnage. You know, it causes like high-volume, high-variance games where scorelines we've seen recently, and normally they end up in Oxford's favour, have been seeing 6-0, 4-1, 2-3-2s, a 4 nil. You know, this is a side who who basically worked out that the only way to play is just to try and score goals and try and score more than the opposition. And given that that is the case, the defensive record is pretty good. Now, and that in part is due to Jack Stevens, who is having a remarkable first season in goal at, at Oxford. And he was a player who back in probably November, December time when he first came in, I, I kind of cast doubts as to whether there was only kind of interest in him because he was a young goalkeeper and that kind of always... You know, it gets flags up, flagged up to clubs, but actually, he's consistently making. You know, he's a he's a very very good shot stopper, and he's starting to improve in terms of his his um the way he commands his area. So, you are right. This is and the difference between Oxford now and with those two games, even though that Blackpool home game was quite recently, the, the game at the Kassam where Blackpool beat Oxford two 0 is this is a side who not only is it a very attacking lineup, but it's an attacking lineup who who look incredibly dangerous and you know have twice come back from losing positions to get three two wins. They were two 0 down against Gillingham and scored three times in the last twelve minutes. They were two one down against Shrewsbury at half time and, and won the game three uh, two. Yeah, I, I would say that Oxford are a very awkward opponent for Blackpool. I'm going to hand. I mean, I, you know, this is going to sound. Everybody listening is going to be like, oh, listen to the Oxford fan crowing about. Oxford. That's not necessarily the case. And when I get to what I'm backing, you'll see that. But in, I think in order to to understand how this game is going to go, you can't just look at the fact, you know, you, you mentioned um, the fact that Oxford have picked up more points than, than Blackpool in the last, since the, just the, the one, of December. Just the one no, more no, point. <laughs> just the one more point. But, but which is still, you know, we often say on this podcast, you know, Blackpool have been the best team for X long. So, and, you know, you're always taking arbitrary dates as being where you're taking this from in order to prove your point. But I would say more significantly than Oxford picking up one more point is the fact that Blackpool have only conceded nine goals on the road in that time. Oxford have conceded 21. Going, going into a two-legged playoff game, I think that is going to be pretty significant. But even though Blackpool are a very, very good defensive side, it's it's impossible for me, unless Carl suddenly decides to bring back Gorin and maybe just just tighten up a little bit. It it, it seems it seems impossible to me that this is going to be your classic Blackpool. We're not going to give much away, and we're going to probably create more than you and, and win the game one or two nil. I think for me, the most exciting part of this game, this tie 
is is just how different these two managers are and how they approach things. We'll get on to Blackpool's style in a second. I've billed it as irresistible force meets immovable object, and I think that's actually a, a pretty good way of summing things up. But Neil Critchley is in his first full season as a senior manager. He obviously had a very important role in Liverpool's academy previously with Crewe as well. He had to overcome a pretty difficult start to his uh, Blackpool career. In fact, when I mention Neil Critchley, I really want to mention Colin Calderwood as well because many people will remember Colin Calderwood as being the last Cambridge United manager before Mark Bonner revolutionised the club. Well, he was appointed as Critchley's assistant manager on the 30th of October. At that point, Blackpool had seven points from nine games and since then, as mentioned, five more points than any other team, 73 points from 37 games. So if I'm Colin Calderwood, I mean, I'm shouting that from the rooftops, by the way. I'm making that very clear. And I don't have the inside track on exactly how that dynamic has worked, why that partnership has worked so well, and how much credit should go down to Colin Calderwood, or how much of it was, well, Critchley was going to get a grasp on things anyway. But clearly, as a duo, they have performed very, very well, and the team has benefited from that. But completely different characters. You've got Neil Critchley, who is quiet, who doesn't say a lot, who gives very little away in his post-match or pre-match interviews. Fox Punter, uh, which is run by Mike Holden, it's a, a brilliant podcast that profiles managers and, and I would recommend listening to it if you're interested in that. They compare him to Kenny Jacket in terms of personality type. But crucially, the difference between Critchley and Jacket, as they suggest, is that Critchley has always worked with young players, this current generation of footballers. He has worked with them the whole way up. So whether it's millennials or Generation Z, I, I kind of not actually sure when the cutoff is. But the, the suggestion is that Critchley, despite having that slightly introverted character, is someone who can definitely connect with this group of players. And that certainly be, seems to have been the case with this Blackpool squad. With Critchley, it's hard to imagine emotion being a huge part of his approach. Now, Carl Robinson, I would say almost the opposite of that. An imposing character, a massive Marmite character. I would suggest that most fans listening to this who don't support Oxford United or MK Dons probably don't have a very high opinion of Carl Robinson. And the fact is that he makes big statements, that he is brash and loud and imposing character and rubs people up the wrong way. And I have more and more, George, come to appreciate how that could be very good for the team and the club that he manages at the time. Uh, and I think, you know, you look at the last 10 games, where Oxford have come from, do I think any manager could have encouraged this atmosphere of just pure vibes, like pure attacking quality, scoring all of those goals? I'm not sure. And I think that, I think that should be recognised. But I just find that... The difference, the dichotomy between the two managers, really, really fascinating, and the, the the sort of the way that their teams are in their image. I'll just do a little bit on Blackpool here. As mentioned, that the headline stat is probably 16 conceded in the last 27. They really have been very good defensively. And the funny thing is, personnel-wise, this is a weird one because only two players in Blackpool's squad have started more than 33 of the 46 league games and only one defender at Turton who's a very reliable right-sided defender has started more than 26 so all season this back line whether it's been a four at the back or a, or a five at the back which he kind of flips between there's been a rotating cast of defenders slotting in whether it's Ballard, Gretison, Ekpeteta or Thornley at times and it hasn't mattered who has played so where you would often look at a team's personnel and think, oh, if X gets injured, 
I would predict that there'll be some issues at the back. It just hasn't been the case for Blackpool all season. So clearly the natural conclusion to make is that the coaching must be sensational. The, the structure and the setup at the back has been very, very good. Um, and so Critchley gets a lot of credit. Tactically, he's been very flexible. Um, he's played all sorts of different formations all season. Now, there's a reason why recently they've really either played 3-5-2 or 4-4-2, and it's the strength of that front two. There's a lot of focus on Blackpool's defensive record, but they have two strikers bang in form who can really hurt teams. And that is Jerry Yates and Ellis Sims. Now, Yates uh, was one of Swindon's great um, attacking players last season, foil for Owen Doyle as uh, Swindon won promotion from League Two. He joined Blackpool and he's made the step up to League One seamlessly. He's got 20 goals and Sims is on loan from Everton. It's his first EFL loan. And wow, he looks really, really exciting. Both of them are... Both uh, kind of have the physical skills that you want in terms of being able to disrupt defenders physically. Both have pace to run in behind, but both of them have, have shown an eye for goal as well. 23 goals between them in the last 26 games of the season. So don't just look at Blackpool as a defensive side. They're, that front two can hurt. Well, it's certainly going to give Atkinson and Moore a very, very tough time. And that means that because they've got that front two, they've kind of arranged the rest of the team in order to bring the best out of that, I think. Probably... Unlike Oxford, who have about eight wingers and number 10 types, that's probably the area of the pitch where Blackpool are the weakest, I would say. Sully Kaikai has been a good player for them this season, but CJ Hamilton's injured. Bez Labala is unavailable due to some sort of breach of discipline. So out wide is an area they're not looking that strong. Embleton, who is on loan from Sunderland. So if Blackpool were to play Sunderland in the final, would not be able to play. I think he might play off the right in a 4-4-2 with Kaikai on the left. But it could also be 3-5-2, uh, in which case I think Kaikai would be left out. You've got a very functional midfield uh, of Kenny Dougal uh, and Grant Ward uh, if he's fit. Uh, Kevin Stewart, another option as well if Ward isn't fit. So those guys do the dirty work, provide the screen and the energy in midfield. And as you can tell by my sort of quite positive summary, I like this team a lot, George. I think for me, they feel a little bit like Cheltenham last season. I think of the four, they're the best team well-rounded, well-coached and consistent in their performances, very good at the back and with the goal threats as well. I think they have a very good squad, basically every type of player to, to fill slots and holes where necessary. They're not a team with a load of creative players, but they do create chances. So there's a lot of interesting differences between these two teams here. Um, I wonder how you think the first leg particularly might play out. So I think, and this is kind of my my headline bet, my main bet for the game is I'm backing over two and a half at 11 to 10. Um, the market could go two ways here. <clears throat> it could look at Oxford's goal scoring efficiency, or it could look at Blackpool's defensive deficiency. And it seems to have gone with the latter. And I think that's wrong. I think looking at this game as a one-off game, right? I think there are two factors at play here. Firstly, Oxford are the outsiders who will be absolutely desperate to get a result in this game. Lose this game or probably even draw nil-nil or one-all and you're going up to Blackpool with a bit of a mountain to climb. Um, in, you know, in my opinion, Carl Robinson will see this as almost like the one-off game in which you can book your place at Wembley. Just blitz them. Look at your last couple of games at home. You know, Last time out against a Burton side who who's formed them themselves isn't that far behind Oxford and, and, and Blackpool over the last few months uh, with all the pressure on. And despite, 
you know, being kind of pressed into their own third for the majority of the first half, Oxford were rampant and won the game 4-0 and, and were, it was Oxford's best performance in that run. You know, they've been, I mentioned the Gillingham game, I mentioned the Shrewsbury game. That was Oxford finding a way to win when not playing very well. Burton wasn't that. It was a really impressive performance and will give them a bit of belief coming into this. Secondly, and this is the case for every playoff game, and so I don't want the listener to think that we're picking and choosing, but the the fact that fans are going to be there, I think lends itself in this game to it being likely to be more open than, for example, the KG tie that we saw, ties that we saw um, against Portsmouth last season. I, I think that there will be, a, for the first time in a long time, if the game it looks like a tense affair and a cagey affair, there will be a an encouragement from the stands to, to go for the jugular, I reckon. Now, whether or not that is something that we can you know, actually um, perceive to be value in a bet, I don't know, but it certainly won't help. So it won't harm the idea there are going to be goals. I also think for Blackpool and for Neil Critchley, he's not going to be disappointed that he's playing against an Oxford side with basically six attacking players um, in, the, in the starting lineup because that for them enables them to um, to attack. And when you look at the XG tables, you know, there's so much to do with Blackpool's defensive record, and rightly so. You know, they're, and the, the last four matches, their um, XG against is 0.75, 0.78, last eight, 0.84, last 12. You know, this is consistently conceding less than one XG per game. Their XG4 number is pretty good too you know it's not like they're averaging low for low against and therefore coming out on top you know 1.75 in the last four games 1.46 in the last eight now they they're a side who, who still create a lot of chances and i think given oxford's attacking constitution it's pretty unlikely that we're going to see blackpool not create especially with yates and, and sims both possessing uh you know that they are two players who I think can thrive both when they are coming up against a side who press high and they've got the pace to get in behind and are also good enough footballers to to break down a team who are dropping in a bit. So, yeah, I, I think that even though Blackpool's kind of history and, and the head-to-head between these two sides suggests it might be a low-scoring affair, I mean, as, as a fan, I'd be incredibly disappointed if Oxford aren't set up to create chances here. And I, and I say that knowing that we're probably going to be um, living on the edge a bit defensively. But I think it's it's in Oxford's interest to make this as high scoring a tie as possible, basically. Just turn this into a game where it's whoever <laughs> whoever scores more wins, effectively, rather than trying to hope that they can nick the goal that, that will take them through, because that is what Blackpool do at their best. So yeah, I mean the unders is, is thirteen to twenty here, which is just seems prohibitively ridiculously short. Um yeah, I think eleven to ten for over two and a half is, is definitely value. I, I think over two and a half at 11 to 10, whenever you've got a side set up to be as attacking as Oxford, irrespective of who the, the other team they're playing against is, it has to be value. has to be. So I wanted just to flag up, because this is such a good stat, and I should have mentioned it before, that Oxford have scored three goals or more in a game 14 times this season, which is the most in the division. But all of those have been against teams 10th or below. Uh, and we spoke on the Monday podcast about how that can be down to a lot of factors and shouldn't necessarily be looked at as, well, that means they won't score lots of goals against Blackpool. Your record against the the best teams hasn't been very good this season as well. And I'm afraid I'm I'm just quite pessimistic for, for Yellows' chances. 
I know that's probably what you want. You know, you want people to doubt you. I'm sure Carl Robinson wants under that. the radar. You know, you want <laughs> you want to be the outsider. He wants to be considered the underdog. A part of a part of my feeling that Blackpool are going to qualify here, and I'm going to back them at eight to eleven on the sports book to do so. I'm not sure that Carl Robinson's personality and the way that he runs his team and the way that it's been run specifically in the last few months, which has worked unbelievably well for what they needed to do, I don't think it lends itself to playoff football that well. I think the sort of high octane, the the very emotional state of the, the man who runs the team, which then bleeds into the team itself. And I am no psychologist and this could be complete nonsense but i just have a gut feeling that it's it's not going to be optimal against this blackpool side i think they can manage the tie basically and i wonder if there's been quite a lot of energy expended already just to get into the playoffs you know you've been at the limit as you say all these goals scored and conceded late winners emotions and energy all over the place and maybe that chaos theory is perfect and can carry through the next three games but i don't know i just think Carly's gets so much out of his attacking players, but I can't get away from the fact that sometimes I watch Oxford and I think you look quite loose tactically. Like the, the fullbacks have such license to go forward. The attacking players have great freedom. It's so good to watch, but I'm not sure these games are going to look much like regular season games. And I do think that, yeah, I just, I don't necessarily go down the, the goals route for you. And as is obviously quite clear, I think Blackpool will win it. So for me, I think the biggest gap between the two sides is is how much better Blackpool are defensively rather than how much better Oxford are going forward. Out of interest, what would you, because I, I definitely get what you're saying about whether or not this style lends itself to playoff football. Mm. And I think in that sense, the opposition that Oxford have kind of is is the only way like if i if, if you were a manager and you were coming up against this this blackpool side how would you want your team to set up to combat what is quite clearly a team who don't give much away like how would you want your team to be set up and what would you want the the mentality to be well it's an interesting question because i do think blackpool are a really good all-round team with no obvious weaknesses so that makes it quite difficult and therefore i suggest that going with what you are is the best thing to do. So I have no problem with you guys going into it like this. I think it's the best strategy for Oxford United, for this team, for this manager. I just don't think it's a particularly good matchup for you guys. Um, I'm also not sure that the the longer than usual break between the end of the season and the first playoff game is great. Um, I was at Quest with with Super Kevin Phillips on on Sunday, and he was like, Carl would want to play this game. You know, he would have wanted to play this midweek this week and just keep yeah. going, keep going. Um, so, you look, it's it's a game of opinions, isn't it? Here's mine. For the first leg, I think Blackpool are value to win the game at 19 to 10. Um, if Oxford just slightly overdo it and 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 don't and don't hit those really gaudy standards that you've set in the last few weeks, I think that Blackpool can pick you off that front two. I'd be very worried about as an Oxford fan. Just just the damage that they could cause without much support on the break, running the channels, running into the gaps when the, the fullbacks are caught high up the pitch. I can yeah. see that being an issue. I'm also actually going to back Blackpool to win 1-0 at 15-2. to Very much goes against your, your goals theory. And do you know what? I'm happy. Because on the championship playoff preview <laughs> podcast, we agreed way too much. And that's not fun for us. It's not fun for anyone. So there's a bit of tension in the virtual room right now. because. But no, but then, I mean, but I've, <laughs> I was going to say... I, I, I agree with you 
not with the goals, but I agree with you that whilst I wouldn't necessarily be rushing to back Blackpool at 8-11 to to qualify, I do think looking at this as a 90-minute game on, on Tuesday, I think Blackpool are definitely the value in the in the you know the home in in the one by two market basically I think nineteen to ten versus eleven to eight um, suggesting that Oxford are quite comfortably that the more likely winners here I I don't I don't agree with I I think that <clears throat> um, the Blackpool are, are rightful favourites to go through in the tie and I think that they're those prices should be a lot closer. And there's, you know, Betfair Sportsbook offer a bet builder function, which you can basically choose all the different things you think might happen in the game and turn it into kind of a, a mini game hacker. And my bet builder um, at 4.21, so just bigger than three to one, is both teams to score over two and a half goals and Blackpool or draw. Um, so I am, I am with you. Like I'm not, I'm not here think, saying, you know, Oxford are great and we're going to win everything and this is it. Um, I think the Blackpool are. Yeah, are probably too big to win the game, um, and they'd be the ones I'd side with. That's not to say that I think it's going to be an easy game for them, and I still expect Oxford, because of the way they're set up, to to try very hard to land a couple of blows, which I think will therefore um, could make the game more interesting, maybe than some some Blackpool games have been recently. Okay, let's move on to Lincoln against Sunderland. Another fascinating tie for different reasons, really. Here's a bit of uh, top-line context for you. Lincoln City, under Michael Appleton, started the season hot and kept going. You know, they were top of the league on New Year's Day, Lincoln. Now, they couldn't sustain that. They had a big blip, massively coincided with injuries and COVID outbreaks. But they picked up only 12 points from 13 games in February and March. And then they had a backlog of fixtures to uh, to fulfil to finish the season. So probably suboptimal conditions for them to finish this campaign. But in fairness, from a point where it looked like they might drop out of the playoffs altogether, they recovered well. They won four out of five to secure their playoff plus. Their playoff plus? <laughs> their playoff place. And then finished by drawing with Peterborough from 3-0 up. Um, 3-3, losing to Charlton and drawing with Wimbledon. Sunderland, well, if you look at the underlying numbers, the XG ratio, they've been one of the best teams in the league this season overall. But I have to admit, the form hasn't always matched up with that. And their form has lurched from highs to lows throughout the campaign. Of course, they changed manager from Phil Parkinson to Lee Johnson. Uh, Initially, that was looking like a very good decision indeed. There was a period where... Lee Johnson Sunderland won nine games out of 11 and were two points behind Peterborough with a game in hand. And they followed that up by getting seven points from their last nine games uh, and just one win. Comfortably the worst form of, of any playoff team. And actually, Ollie Brady, who provided us with some great stats for the championship uh, podcast, has done the same here. The headline for me is Sunderland's recent form has been so bad that no team in late in League One playoff history has had a worse record over the final 10 games than they have picking up only 10 points in this time. This feat was equaled by Sheffield United in 12-13, who got beaten by eventual winners. Yeovil over two legs. They've played each other three times this season. Uh, at Sinsel Bank in the league, it was 4-0 to Sunderland, and that definitely didn't tell the whole story. Brennan Johnson missed two legit one-on-ones on the break uh, early on before Sunderland showed him how to do it. They attacked with speed and intensity. They were committing bodies forward. It was quite early in the Lee Johnson regime and it looked like they had a bit of something about them, a bit of spark and a bit of intent up top. They were 3-0 up at half-time and won that comfortably. 
But then as things started to regress a little for Sunderland in terms of that intensity and that attacking, well, that exciting attacking play, they drew 1-1 at the Stadium of Light in the Papa John's semi-final. Uh, a Scully goal cancelled out by, guess what, a white header from a McGeady cross. Uh, and then in the league, quite recently, 1-1 at the Stadium of Light again in the midst of that great Sunderland run. Uh, a McFadgen header from a Max Power cross put them ahead. And then Callum Morton rolled the stand-in centre-back Luke 9 to equalise. So there's a bit of top line context, George. I wonder if you could let me know who the bookies have as favourites and outsiders for this one. And then talk me through your sort of top line thoughts on this fascinating tie. Such a good um, like voice, that. That's amazing. I'm working you on it. You went all Gary Weaver on me. <laughs> um, yeah, to, <laughs> Sunderland, the favourites to qualify. Uh, they are 8, eight to 15, uh, so 15 to 8 on. Lincoln 11 to 8, that's for Bet First Sportsbook. <clears throat> if you're looking at the match odds, um, still not because the game is until Wednesday next week. So, not a great deal of, of liquidity on the exchange, but the sportsbook have prices. And Sunderland are 31 to 20, the Lincoln 9 to 5, and the Shaw 21 to 10. Now, I have been on a roller coaster here because at first view of the outright markets, at four to one, Lincoln looked the value to me. And I still think that they might be. However, <laughs> looking at this game, I I mean, I just I can't get away from the fact that Sunderland at six to four must be the bet. And the reason for that is that I don't think home advantage exists in this game of football. Now, again, as I mentioned in the Oxford pod, there will be Lincoln fans at the game and that might change things. And therefore, I might be look, made to look foolish fairly soon. But based alone on, on what I can see in terms of, of recent results and performances, if you look at Lincoln's recent form, their last nine games, uh, so their last 11 games at home, they've only won two of them. Now, those two, those two games and performances and, and results were amongst their best well, the MK Dons 4-0 was amongst their best performances of the season, and especially of recent times. Um, you know, I definitely didn't see that coming. The crew game that they won 3-0 back in March, I was at Quest for that one, and it was a strange old game where, where crew were the better side until um, Lincoln broke the deadlock, and Lincoln didn't create a great deal. So... You know, and they've lost, in recent games, they've lost 2-1 to Hull, they've lost 3-0 to Gillingham, they've lost 2-1 to Rochdale, they've lost 2-1 to, to Fleetwood. They obviously lost that game 4-0 to Sunderland at Sinsel Bank fairly recently, or I should say the LNER Stadium. And then they've played Sunderland twice since and gone to the Stadium of Light and drew, drew both games one all. I'm a good value for those draws. I don't... Lincoln, for whatever reason, I think it might be because they're a side who improve when teams kind of come on to them I guess because they've got the pace and the guile and the trickery of whether you know Brennan Johnson and George Grant and Morgan Rogers you know they are a side who I think excel when they have space to to break into and Sunderland you know I if you're going to be a slave to the data like I am you just cannot ignore that Sunderland Sunderland's data during this poor run remains incredibly strong an XG ratio of 72% over the last four games, 1.82 XG4 game by game. Last eight games, 64% XG ratio. Like they are top of the table for four, second for eight, top of the table for 12. 
it strikes me as they are either paying the price for variants of that good run for Streaky Lee before, or um, we're about to see the results turn and match up to where they should be. So, yeah, I mean, this just goes to show that sometimes first look can play tricks on you because before I'd done any research into this, I would have thought, I mean, I wouldn't have imagined myself backing Sunderland to this game just at a shade bigger than 6-4 to four at 31-20 to 20 to be the bet. But that's where I've come down at the moment. Interesting. Interesting. They're a fascinating team, Sunderland, because there's there's so many things that kind of don't seem to make a lot of sense and, and make me think that this team is not the most well-balanced, shall we say. They typically don't give away many chances. That was the case under Phil Parkinson. And for the most part, that's been the case under Lee Johnson. But we have to acknowledge that the issues that they have in terms of personnel at the back. During that really good run, George, you know better than me because you spoke, I think, to Dave Jones about it. Dion Sanderson. Better than most. Dion Sanderson. Yes. Was massive, wasn't he? Huge. Massive. He was yeah. huge in terms of his, well, in terms of everything, really, both what he was doing defensively, the way that he was helping Luke 09 to fill in uh, alongside him at centre back. You know, 09, the, the classic Swiss Army knife, uh, certainly not a centre back by trade, but throws his head at everything mucks in and has done a very good job there but as soon as Sanderson got injured and is missing for the whole playoffs and won't be available they've looked really 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 creaky to my eyes anyway Um, you've got Bailey Wright playing next to 09 at the back and Bailey Wright looks a little creaky to me he's one of those guys who's like he's 28 or 29 and this is quite a harsh thing to say, but he moves like a, a much older defender. He moves like a defender in his mid-30s. And while 09 looked okay next to Sanderson, I think he's looked a little at sea without him. So I'm worried for Sunderland at the back. I don't think their fullbacks are particularly strong, if I'm honest. Denver Hume is back from injury. He's fit and he offers quite a lot going forward, but I think is a little dodgy defensively. McFadgen. I'm not a huge fan of McLaughlin right back. I'm not a huge fan of Max Power has filled in there at times, but looks like um, Johnson quite likes power in the midfield now. So starting at the back, I, there's not a lot that I love about this Sunderland team. Uh, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the goalkeeper Burge either, but it gets much more interesting as you move forward because Charlie White has scored so many goals this season and none of them from the penalty spot. 26 Goals without penalties, uh, which is the most in the EFL this season. A lot of them headed goals. And of course, McGeady is at the other end of that. His numbers are an absolute joke. To have 14 assists playing just over half of the season, McGeady is is clearly, and we've known this for a while, a cut above with what he can do. Technically, the way that he creates space for himself going either way and crosses, it's the perfect combination to have in your team. McGeady playing off the left and Wyke and his strengths in the air playing through the middle. Outside of that, this Sunderland team has not a huge amount of attacking options. Now, it's too simple to say, cut off the McGeady to Wyke supply and you'll win this game because it's hard to do that for starters. And they do have other players who, at least on paper, I think are the sort of players who can create chances and make things happen. You've got Maguire, you've got Gooch, you've got Jordan Jones. Now, they don't always start all of those guys, and it's quite hard to second-guess Johnson's selection here. But frankly, their top scorer without penalties after Wyke is Max Power with five, Gooch, McGeady, Scowan with four. 
they just don't have a ton of other goal threats. Um, Jordan Jones, I do think, looks quite threatening when he plays. But the problem is he's more comfortable on the left, which is the same as, as McGeady, of course. And Lyndon Gooch, he's had a good few games recently in this kind of mobile forward role. He's almost playing like nominally next to Wyke, but he flits, you know, he, he sort of flits out wide. He combines with the wide players. And again, he's another player who you could see having a big moment in this game. But but can you really trust him to put in two really good, consistent performances? I don't know. I don't know. For Sunderland, one of my concerns, George, is that they have so many players out of contract this summer. And with the new owner, we know that there's a huge summer of change on the horizon. They've brought in a whole new staff to help with recruitment. They're clearly going to go in a different direction. I think we both feel for the long term, it's exactly what Sunderland Football Club needed uh, in order to progress. But I wonder if if heading into this with that sort of atmosphere of all change on the horizon, loads of players out of contract, I'm not sure that that is necessarily the the ideal sort of mindset going in. And, and as for Lincoln... You know, they're loving the outsider's tag. Appleton's giving it the big in about pressure off, piling the pressure on the big club, Sunderland, who really need this promotion and Lincoln are ahead of schedule and they've overachieved and that's all true. But I actually think Lincoln have the better squad. I think they have the more balanced team and I think they're the likely winners of the tie. Um, but only just. It's going to be such a close tie, this. I can't wait for it. They play a 4-3-3, which is just classic Appleton. A lot of technical players. Um, they play good stuff. But but as you mentioned yourself, their key goal is to get Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers one-on-one with fullbacks in space, running in behind. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how much they can achieve that. They, they have a big man up top in Tom Hopper who doesn't really score but does pretty much everything else. And the big thing for Lincoln is they've got everyone fit. We talked about how injuries and COVID impacted that poor run of form they had. Appleton says this is the first time all season he's had everyone available, and that's really exciting. It does mean some some quite tricky decisions in terms of selection. You know, you've got Bridcutt and Grant, who are so good uh, in midfield for them. And the third midfielder will probably be McGrandles, but there's a few other options there. And then you have to pick two out of the three of Brennan Johnson, Morgan Rogers, and Anthony Scully, which is difficult because Scully's scored 11 goals this season, but probably won't start. I think the quality that Johnson and Rogers have, even as such young players, is, is enough that you'd want them to start. Um, so yeah, loads of good technical, versatile players playing a 4-3-3. There's nothing particularly extreme uh, in their tactics or in the way that they play. But yeah, balance is the is kind of the, the, the word of the day for me when I think about Lincoln. And I don't necessarily think about that with Sunderland. But I can't get away from the fact Sunderland have the best player by in McGeady and someone who's the perfect foil for what McGeady does in Charlie White. So What's worth more, I guess, is the question that I'm asking myself. The, the team that I think is probably a better all-round team or the team that has just a combination that, that we know that we know is so deadly and threatening at this level. So I say all that to say <laughs> that I can see both of these games finishing 1-1, to be honest. And that's what I'm going to back uh, for the first leg. I'm going to back uh, Sunderland 1, Lincoln 1, or rather Lincoln 1, Sunderland 1. Uh, at nine to two and my second sort of selection for this tie I'm going to make use of the exchange and I'm actually going to do a, a, a lay bet for the first time on these pods Sunderland the favorites of the four for promotion just about on the exchange and I do not have that amount of confidence in Sunderland I'm laying Sunderland promotion on the exchange at 3.35 I did that just before we started recording this morning any other thoughts yes I feel like 
Yeah, it's, we're, we're disagreeing quite a lot here because I've got a little a little bet builder, a little double bet builder um, that, again, is, is supporting Sunderland in a couple of other markets. Um, I Just because I, I think on the data side of things and because of what we saw happening last time these two sides played here um, and because of the way the playoff games fall, I just wonder if there's a if worth just chancing Sunderland winning quite handsomely. Um, so the bet builder I'm, I'm putting up here is is Sunderland to be winning at half time and Sunderland minus one at the end. So nice. you're basically looking for them to to be winning at half time and then extend their lead in the second half or or maintain it if it's if it's already a, a two goal advantage. That's seven point nine eight. Um, and given you know if Sunderland are ahead at half time, then the onus is going to be on Lincoln to come and attack, in which case they could easily pick them off. And if Sunderland averaging 1.87 xG per game over the last four games. If they do that again, there's every chance that they're actually going to go in the goal this time. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, as I say, it, this is difficult. This is very much like a head a head over heart bet because, um, yeah, I I love the manager of Lincoln. I love what he's done. I've loved watching them all season. I think that Sunderland have, have underachieved again. Um, but I guess if I'm right, then there's a chance that we might see a Sunderland-Oxford final, and that's what all neutrals should be after um, come, come the last weekend of May. That is an incredibly, incredibly exciting prospect. Um, overall for these playoffs, I, as you could have told earlier, uh, am a little bit blinded by Blackpool. I find it hard to look past them. As I said, I, I just think they're the best team. Uh, I think they're in really good spot right now. I think they have a, an, an excellent squad. The main Concern would be the exper- the inexperience rather of their manager Neil Critchley, uh, and then uh, given I compared them to Cheltenham last last season heading into the playoffs, I was so confident, said all the same things about Cheltenham. They won their first leg two 0 against Northampton and had an absolutely mad collapse out of nowhere in the second leg. So my main concerns would be Critchley's inexperience and some mad collapse out of nowhere. Um, but overall, I'll just recap my selections and then you can do the same. Uh, in terms of Blackpool-Oxford, the first leg on Tuesday, 6pm, I'm backing, I'm backing Blackpool to win at 19-10, to 10, uh, and I'm going to back them to win 1-0 as well at 15-2. to 2. I'm backing Blackpool to win the playoffs, to win promotion. Um, that is on the Betfair Exchange at 3.6 this morning, and I'm also laying Sunderland at 3.35 so I'm on the other side of that one Uh, and in the Lincoln Sunderland game very 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 tight too tight to call really for me Uh, I'm just backing the 1-1 correct score at 9-2 on that game uh, on Wednesday George remind me because we're at odds here well, that's quite that's, a good part, isn't it? Yeah, well done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm backing over two and a half goals in the game that I'm hopefully going to be at on Tuesday, early, early evening, late afternoon, six o'clock kickoff. Um, yeah, over two and a half at 11 to 10. I also think that Blackpool are probably a smidgen of value um, to win the game, but I certainly will not be on. Um, although I do have that bet builder, which um, hopefully when I'm crying on my way home uh, on the train on Tuesday evening, I'll suddenly remember that and be a bit happier uh and then in the lincoln sunderland game i'm just i'm with sunderland i think sunderland to win the game uh 31 to 20 i'm not convinced the home advantage really comes into play here uh, and then the bet builder is them to be winning at half time and to be winning uh and to, to cover the handicap minus one as well in the outright market i basically find it impossible um just leave it maybe because just yeah, leave I, it. I am I, I am leaving it I, I thought the lincoln were a price but i can't in good faith back Sunderland to win at Lincoln and then back Lincoln to win the playoffs doesn't make any sense <laughs> I, I the only thing I would maybe say if I had to put, have a bet on I'd, I'd back 
Blackpool on the exchange. That's what I've and done. Then, and then watch, and then and then basically hope if they go through that I'll have a, a more of a view on one of Sunderland or Lincoln, whoever goes through, and then maybe get out. Because the one thing I would say is Sunderland play at Wembley. I mean, Sunderland, Wembley's basically Sunderland's second ground at the moment. <laughs> and I think that has a big part to play. You know, they lost a playoff final there, which is, in my book, a positive against Charlton two seasons ago. Um, a fair bit of churn in, in terms of the playing staff, but a few of them were there. But then they also won a Wembley a few weeks ago against Tranmere. Um, they won a Wembley um, in the in the Papa John's or was the Czech or whatever it was before that against Pompey as well. They are a side who, um, yeah, who the occasion won't get to them certainly. So um, so that is a bit of a positive. But yeah, no, probably no bet for me. Maybe Blackpool with a view of getting out. Well, what do you guys think? Let us know at NTT20Pod on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. This is the most wonderful time of the year uh, and we want to live it with you guys. So please do get in touch with us with any thoughts on what we've said, uh, any thoughts, anything we've missed really uh, that you want to make clear. Uh, do get in touch on Twitter. And George, you've made excellent use of those Betfair bet builders. Love that from you. Um, I just want to flag up before we let you guys go that Betfair have a great offer on multiples, if you bet £20 worth of multiples, you'll get a £5 free bet. Uh, multiples includes doubles and above and bet builders as well. Each multiple must have at least one selection at minimum odds of 1.5. The free bet is valid on multiples as well. And for all the terms and conditions, head to the Betfair website, of course. Thank you for joining us for this League One playoff preview. Nice to have a little bit of uh, difference of opinions between us. We head on to record the League Two section now. So if you've listened to the Championship One, if you've listened to the League One preview, get ready for League Two. That will be live on Saturday and get excited for the playoffs guys make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed we'll be previewing the playoff finals we'll be looking back at how our 1-24 to season predictions did next week we're just excited for all of it so please please be along for the ride join us next time on the Not The Top 20 podcast <laughs>